Hey guys, it's Kelly and I want to welcome you back to the Unbroken podcast. So I have a very extra special guest with me today. It's a good friend of mine named Sean. He is the host of the Sitting with Sean podcast where he talks about uh, struggles with addiction and all sorts of things. I asked him to come on because I know a lot of my listeners struggle with PTSD and depression that is not related to sex trafficking. So I thought it would be a pretty good idea to have somebody talk about these kinds of topics from a very different perspective than mine. So thank you all for giving him a warm welcome. And how are you doing, Sean? I'm doing great on this fine morning. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. It's hot. It's summer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to hit 80s here uh, soon. So I'm really excited. It's, it's already tank top weather. I just haven't stepped outside yet. Yeah, I, I wish I was in Alaska. <laughs> doesn't everybody that's all i hear everybody's like oh you know i want to come up to alaska i want to come up to alaska i was like bring your ass i'll cook dinner for you don't worry is it gonna have mac and cheese yeah why not mac and cheese is a staple of every meal <laughs> so did you want to share a little bit about your story um yeah starting yeah. with obviously you're a veteran you uh served in the same unit type thing as Mitch did, my husband. So that's where so, the so, story began. Okay. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it's pretty crazy. So uh yeah, I'm Sean. I'm a um I'm a US Army veteran, 12 and a half years. I got medically retired for traumatic brain injury. Uh in layman's terms, that means I had a lot of concussions. Um doing dumb stuff in the army or doing what the army asked me to do. Um, but that's not why I'm here. So uh, I like to, I like, I always say that I feel like my, I was born into trauma. Um, so um, I feel like I was born into trauma because my, uh, my earliest recollections in life were traumatic, super traumatic. Uh, you know, I, I suffer from a lot of childhood trauma um, when I was about six. Um, no, no, I was about three or four. Sorry. Uh, yeah, age differences are weird. Anyways, mm-hmm. so when I was about three or four, um, my dad beat me with a belt, and that that stuck with me for a long time. That that initiated a unhealthy fear um, of my dad, and um, so because of that, and because of a whole bunch of different things in my life, um, my sister and I were taken away from my parents shortly after that. Um, child services came. And they did an investigation on, on, on my parents and they found bruises on not just myself, but they found bruises on my sister. My sister was 18 months at the time and they found bruises from head to toe on her. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was insane. And so we were, we were taken away and put in foster care and we were picked up like that. Uh, the one, the one request that everybody had was to keep my sister and I together. Fortunately, we were put together. Um, we spent about six months in foster care in a, in a home with, uh, with, with a couple, they were older. Um, and, uh, they gave us anything we wanted, virtually anything we wanted. I'm, I'm a huge professional wrestling fan. Uh, and, and so like I had a trash bag full of like action figures, old Mattel action figures, and uh, we got virtually everything we wanted. And then, uh, one day my, my, my dad's parents showed up to their doorstep with the police and we were put in the car and next thing we know, we're living with our, my grandparents. 
Um, and now I grew up in that part of my life. I grew up uh, pretty much in the backwoods of, of Maryland. Like uh, best, I guess, geographical location I could say is it is right around the corner, literally 15 minutes from where the Blair Witch Project was filmed. And that's like oh, my claim God, to fame. I'm like, about that movie. yeah, it's terrifying. It scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. The, well, the now it's not. Is the ending when the guy's in the corner. Other yeah. than that, yeah. it's not scary at all. No, no. And you're right. But when you're a kid and you live in that yeah. area, it's super terrifying. Um, anyways, so I grew up there and then I grew up right next to the Antietam battlefield. Um and and so you know my life there was crazy i lived there about six years uh from the ages of four to ten and um my you know a lot of the memories now that i'm you know working my recovery program a lot of the memories of what happened when i was a kid are starting to come back and not bad not good just kind of in between but there's a lot of traumatic things that happened in that time frame uh things that were sociably acceptable at that time as a parent or a guardian that aren't now. So I think the most prevalent thing that, that I remember is, uh, so we went to a Christian, uh, a Christian school um, and they worked on a tally system where if you did certain things, you got a tally. So, uh, and tallies were bad. And so however, how many, however many tallies we got at the end of the week, that was our punishment for, for uh, you know, Friday. Like mm-hmm. That's what they called it where I went. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I could there. So like talking in class would get you like a, a green one. And then like, I think the worst I got, uh, I got a red one and I got sent to the principal's office. And at the time they were allowed to spank the kids with a paddle at, um, in, in the class or in, in the principal's office. So not only did I get that in the office, but I got, I got it when I got home. Uh, anyways, I think the, the, one of the more detrimental things when I was a kid, um, was, um, I came home and, uh, my grandpa, his, he's a big beefy dude. Uh, he's about my height. So he's like five, something, five, four, five, five. But at the time he was a giant to me and, uh, he's working on his workbench. He, uh, and I said, you know, what are you doing? He's like, I'm making a paddle. He had a two by four. And uh, I said, okay, well, what are you making the paddle for? He said, I'm making it for you. And, and he was drilling holes in it. And he wore that thing out on me and literally broke it over me. Uh, and broke it over my sister. Yeah, yeah. And my parents, uh, they would make us go out and get our own switches. Yeah. And one time my brother, I hate saying this is funny, but it kind of is. He kept bringing in small ones and... My dad yelled and said, go get one that I can, you know, that's bigger. So he brought a freaking branch in, like a huge <laughs> branch. I mean, it is funny. It is funny. At the time, it probably was not funny. No, but it, it is. was terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and and so, you know, that happened. And and that doesn't, I haven't even talked about the social um, aspect of being a kid and like growing up in that area and stuff like that. You know, I grew up and if I showed you pictures of me, then you'd be like, what the hell? I had these gnarly pink glasses that were just huge. They encompassed like my whole foreheads. At least you had red, okay? I had pink. I had pink ones, all right? That was pretty traumatic for me. Uh, I was considered the nerd in class, which I mean, now I take pride in that. Somebody calls me a nerd, I'm like, thank you. Uh, but at the time, nerd was a very derogatory term. Yeah. And, 
And uh, I loved soccer and, and everybody in my school played soccer, everybody. And when we would go and play soccer uh, at recess, I was always the last person picked. And it got to this point where everything that was happening at home and all the social neglect that I was facing made me rage out and I blacked out. Next thing I know, like my best friend from school is laying on the ground and I didn't remember what happened. Yeah. That was my first instance of blacking out because of rage. And uh, so, um, you know, uh, I, I hit about 10 years old and, uh, you know, I had intermittent um, visitation with my parents. Uh, they had gotten to this point with child services where they're like, yeah, you guys could have unsupervised visits. Well, no, they did supervised strictly. Sorry. Um, and uh, my dad had left my, my, my mom and uh, my dad had ended up moving to Erie, Pennsylvania. And um, he met my stepmom. They worked on getting custody of us, but they didn't want to come out and say, we have custody of you guys. Um, they wanted to give us the option to say where we wanted to go. So we met in, in McDonald's. It was supposed to be a visitation with my mom and I, and it turned out to be a visitation with my dad, my stepmom, and I, and my sister. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom didn't show up. Uh, she didn't show up to the, the hearing, the custody hearing. And by default, my dad won. Um, now, we ended up moving up to Erie, Pennsylvania, I want to say 97 or 98. And everything was good for a few months. And uh, my dad was a truck driver. He was very aggressive uh, mm-hmm. in nature. I mean, I don't like to stereotype people, but he was the stereotypical truck driver. He would come home, get drunk on the weekends, and he'd be gone for an extended period of time. And uh, so I wasn't really able to establish a, a, a good relationship with my dad. But when he was home, it was it got bad. He would, his aggression would turn toward my sister. Um, and, uh, it, it was bad and it got so bad to the point. I haven't even said this. this is the first time I'm saying it. So this is here, you know, here in the first, they'd lock my sister in the room. My dad would, would under, under, under padlock and, uh, it, it got bad. And I don't know that she remembers that. Yeah. Um, How old I don't, she, she at, at the time she was probably, I was, I was about, seven so she was probably about four or five did you ever feel like you had to like put yourself in like the line of fire in between him and your sister oh oh, absolutely absolutely uh i was my sister's protector for whenever you know we lived together Uh, um with my little brother but i felt like my older brother should have done that for me he never did yeah um i felt like i should have been in the line of fire for her um, but unfortunately those times I was in trouble too, but it wasn't to the, to the, the degree that she was, she, was, she would be in yeah. trouble. Yeah. And, and like, she, it, it was like small things that she would get in trouble for. And there, and there was these consequences that didn't fit the crime, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one day my dad comes to me and I said, I can't handle her shit anymore. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And he was like, I'm kicking her out at the age of five or six. And then like, I I'm devastated, you know, yeah. cause I, 
I don't know what this means for my relationship with my sister. I don't know what this means moving forward. And my sister had up until that point, my sister had been the most consistent thing in my life. Yeah. Um, from the, from the time she was born all the way up to that point. And then he comes out and says, uh, I'm not her biological father. Um, she's just your step or she's just, uh, she's just another person to me. Which explains like, like, why she got the brunt of everything. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and there was no remorse. There was no, nothing. uh, nothing. It was just like pure hatred. And I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, yeah. why? So he packed our stuff up that weekend and we ended up taking her down to Maryland. And uh, at that point I was completely devastated, man. That was something super traumatic to me because the one thing that I had in my life that I could be like tangible, um, Mm -hmm. consistent was gone. Absolutely. Just, just gone. And uh, it's not like I could pick up the phone and call her um, whenever I wanted because she was at school or or, you know, they were ha- my grandparents were having her do things around the house. And my grandparents did end up getting custody of her. No. And so whenever we went down, I was able to see her, but it wasn't the same. No. We ended up growing apart and we, you know. It's like that isolation. Cause I mean, my parents, they did that with me and my brothers, but it wasn't yeah. until after I escaped, but my dad actually called child services on himself and made accusations of abuse towards my brother's kids, my, just my older brother. And when the investigators came out, he blamed me for it. But when I talked with my younger brother, I was like, why? I, I didn't do that. And I was like, why would I call about yeah. them and not your daughter when I have yeah. a closer relationship with you and her? So he believed you know, that it was my dad that did it, but it's like, they just want to sever anything constant that you have because yeah. they have to keep that chaos. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so when we moved, when we moved back or when we went back to Erie, um, it was boom like that. Uh, it changed his target, you know, the sites of his target changed to me. And uh, it started off small, dude. It started off like name calling, uh, you know, not to not to offend anybody that that's listening um, that might be with the LGBTQ community. Uh, but my my dad would throw out terms. He'd be like, you're 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 gay. You're fucking homosexual. You're a faggot. And that was detrimental to me, one, because I didn't know what any of that meant. I just know knew that at the time it was a very derogatory term. Yeah. And, and two and two, like to be called those names as a kid by your father, by somebody that you look up to, Mm -hmm. it's, it's fucked up. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, so that, you know, that was, and, and and I would say, well, why, why are you saying that? And he was like, I'd never see you with a girl, dude, I'm fucking nine years old. What do you expect? You expect me to be out here slinging. I was like, if, 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 if I went down the street and hung out with girls, you would have called me the same thing yeah so like where's there a give anyways and that was my process now like now thinking about it that was my process like yeah. like there, there there would be no escaping that and then it turned to uh psychological abuse uh you know my mom would call from time to time uh but he would and this is why i do not talk derogatory about my stepdaughters or or my adopted daughter's dad 
is because my mom would call and um, he would be like, your mom's just a piece of shit. She's a fucking deadbeat. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't care about you. She just cares about getting high. And I didn't know what the fuck that meant. Yeah. But Do you I think I, he kept you from her. I know that there, that, that there's been things that came out uh, with my family that, that has stated that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, to be honest, I mean, right now it's, I, I'm old enough that I don't, I don't want to speculate anymore. Uh, that's, you know, that was the past that, that has nothing to do with what's going on with me now. I mean, kind of does, but, uh, regardless, um, and then the abuse became physical in nature. It started with slaps on the back of the head, pressure points, like right here, or he'd go up under the ear. And then, uh, what, what really caught me, uh, off guard was, I, I don't even remember what I did. I don't remember at all it wasn't anything bad but um i was in the kitchen and we were doing something i can't remember and he comes over and just boom grabs him by the throat and like hoists me up over his head and he like he's looking at me mm -hmm. in the eyes and and like deadlock and he's like i'm gonna fucking kill you and when i'm looking in his eyes it, yeah it's not at all it, 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 what whatever portion of him was there was gone and it was something else and i'm not saying like he was possessed no i know uh, what you're talking about it's like mm -hmm. there was just emptiness behind their eyes my yeah. dad had that all the time yeah. with the physical abuse anyways it's just like yeah. it's not them yeah and, and like it, it, yeah the grip was getting tighter dude and i was starting to lose vision and my stepmom literally had to grab his arm and pull him down and, and pull me down and that was the that was that was the time where i was absolutely terrified of my father like i knew that nothing that i did would ever be good enough for him mm -hmm. and and that that no matter how hard I tried uh it, it wouldn't be good enough and so um, you know, as time progressed, I started trying to find where I fit in because like, I didn't fit in anywhere. I was just, just fucked that everybody knew they knew my name, but I mean, like I didn't hang out with anybody. I had no social life. Yeah. Uh, and that happened when I was about 13. And, uh, so, uh, we ended up, um, I ended up finding path for music. Uh, I was in the marching band, uh, and, and middle school and then high school, and like everybody jokes around there, like, oh, that one time at band camp. I'm like, yeah, fuck you. Band camp. Yeah, well, I was a band nerd, and 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 in a weird yeah. turn of events, it was more sociably acceptable to be in the marching band than it was to play football because our football team was trash. <laughs> they didn't win a game for like 10 years. Yeah, that's how my um, high school was. Yeah, yeah. So I it was more sociably acceptable to be in the marching band than it was to play football. And I'm a small dude. I, I've always been small. I mean, you know, and, and to me, that's okay. We survive horror movies. Um, <laughs> but and I try to bring a little bit of comedy into the trauma because it, it helps relieve some of the, the pain. But oh God. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not wrong. We can hide in small spaces. Uh, but anyways, uh, so uh, um. I was in the marching band and the only thing I wanted was my dad. Like I have a younger brother too. He's a few years younger than me. 
Uh, and all I wanted was my dad to love me the way that he loved my brother. Like he that supported my brother in every adventure of his life. Son? No, no, no. Half brother. So he was another woman's son that my dad got custody of as well. And how did he manage like, all of that? He, he pawned us off on other people. Yeah. So when he was gone, he, my stepmom was was our caregiver. When she was gone, our neighbor was our caregiver. Yeah, yeah. So uh, anyways, I wanted my dad to love me uh, the way that he loved my brother. So he supported my brother in every venture of his life. Mm -hmm. So my brother wanted to play baseball. My dad went out and got him all the newest gear. And my brother was was a catcher. He bought him all this gear to be a catcher. The 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 shin pad or the shin guards, the chest plate, you know, the chest guard, the mask, the catcher's, you know, catcher's glove, batting gloves. Ever, yeah, yeah, the golden child. And I hold nothing against my brother. Like I love my brother to death. Even though we don't have like a real relationship now, um, you know, I still love him to death. Uh, you know, my brother got really deep into playing Yu-Gi-Oh. My dad was like, here, go, here's $500. Go buy a new, you know, deck. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, go buy a new deck. Go, you know, you want to go to regionals here? Here's money. But I couldn't get a trumpet to save my life to support me being in marching band. And, uh, you know, my dad would leave early to go to my brother's baseball games and he would spend five minutes at one competition and four years. And, and it really bothered me. And I brought that up. I was like, you love my brother more than you love me. And he's like, no, you don't. No, I don't. Yeah. I'm like, there's a lot of proof in the pudding. It's a typical narcissistic family dynamic. You have yeah. the golden child and then you're the scapegoat. Yeah. And then everyone else is, I think it's, they call it triangulation where it's like, they actually pin the golden child onto the scapegoat and they call them yeah. flying monkeys yeah too common and, and so like you know uh my life at home was not good at all um you know i got to the to the age where i, I could work and my dad was like you're gonna work so i applied to mcdonald's and i got a job at mcdonald's and i started working there um i was volunteering to do stuff just so i didn't be i wasn't in the house you know yeah and the whole time, uh, the whole time I, I contemplated killing myself, you know, and this is something I, I haven't told very many people is I contemplated killing myself. Like I had a switchblade, not a switchblade, but like a Gerber tool, small one. And I had it and I had it up to my wrist and I was like, no, I wanted to feel pain, but I didn't want to feel it. I didn't want it to be over. So I started cutting myself. Like I cut, I have, I have. A cut yeah. that goes across here and um i would do things to injure myself just to feel uh, something. something yeah mm -hmm. so i attempted so when i was uh, between 10 and 12 and the only mm -hmm. thing i had access to was safety scissors and yeah. they actually laughed at me and made fun of me and it's terrible when i was 25 i was mm -hmm um signed up to go to cosmetology school and my dad said you couldn't even commit suicide right you think you're going to be able to do this like it just followed me up. like my whole life jesus and like my brother locked me out we had a storm room 
um, leading to our backyard. And uh, there, was, there was a door that had like nine panels of glass. And he locked me out and it was hot. It was in the dead of the summer. And I punched the window, broke it, dropped my hand down. And I have a scar right here. And uh, if I was like maybe a centimeter deeper, I would have killed myself. And uh, when I was a kid, I was like, really wish that i would have been a centimeter deeper because like yeah my fucking existence sucks right now and um you know i think think for me it wasn't that i actually wanted to die i just wanted everything to stop happening and i had lost exactly all hope and that was the only solution that i could control yeah I had nothing going for me. I was like, I didn't want to die, but I just didn't, I, I didn't want to feel the pain anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the emotional pain. And, and so like, you know, in that time, like the abuse with my dad was, was getting really bad. Like, like the choking was pretty bad, but uh, I knew that it was going to get significantly worse when he would tell me go on and practice falling down in the backyard. And we had a pretty what? decent sized backyard. Yeah. Yeah. He would say, go practice falling down in the backyard. So uh, we had a pretty decent sized back. I'll tell you in a sec. It's a pretty decent sized backyard. We had wooden fences on both sides. We had a walkway in the middle of that garage. And in the garage, it was cement everywhere. Like there was, yeah, it was cement. So he would come out to the backyard after a while and he would grab me by my pants and by my, my collar and just throw me into the fence. And when I would hit the fence, he'd come boom with the back of the, you know, the elbow to the back of the head and he'd shove my face into the ground. He'd do that like four or five times. And I just, I, I kind of blocked it out. I, I was like, it's going to be, it's going to be over soon. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when it got really bad, he would take me to the garage and do the same thing. And then it wouldn't like that, that lasted for about 10 minutes. Uh, you know, he would do that a few times and then he he'd take a baseball he always had access to baseballs because my brother and he would throw baseballs at me help me with baseballs and if i he was like if you say anything you know you play baseball nobody's gonna believe you Mm -hmm. okay all right so i stopped playing baseball and um yeah yeah i think people don't really understand there are things that are worse than death and that's definitely one of them i mean i experienced a lot of very similar abuse but mine was from what i remember was more when i was older like yeah so, like yeah. it was after 9 11 so yeah like 17 18 and older and it was just like how do you say like I, there was one time i actually called the police and they're like you have to take whatever punishment they give you i'm like he smashed a chair across my back he banged my face like I was gushing blood right here on my cheek. I'm like, that that's not a punishment. I'm an adult. I don't yeah. care if I live with them, but that's assault. Yeah, but nobody yeah. listens. And, and that that's the bad thing is like everybody and here the fuck is everybody in my neighborhood knew what was happening, but everybody was afraid of my dad. Yeah. So everybody turned a blind parents. eye. And I didn't even know until after um until after I left, it was, I think, like maybe two years ago, where some of the kids that I babysat actually told me, like, yeah, the whole neighborhood knew what he was doing to you. But they were terrified. Oh, yeah. I guess my mom and dad staged a physical altercation out front of the house yeah. for everyone to witness. So 
it kind of just kept Jesus. everybody quiet. Well, everything everything was 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 very private at the moment. Um, I ended up getting kicked out um, of of the house, and the night that I got kicked out, uh, my you? dad, I was sixteen at the time. Okay. Um, my dad um, made it public, like he made it public. And, and when you said public, that that brought it back. Is like. He, he, uh, you know, I, I came home from work. It was a Saturday. He was off the road and he had just gotten home and he heard I, I'd failed a class because like, I was like, my life at home is not good. I work a lot. Um, I, I hadn't failed a class. Sorry. I got like a C or D or something like that. And that was not acceptable, but like probably. there was, yeah, there was extenuating circumstances that were so much deeper than just, he's not paying attention to class. He's not doing his homework. So um, get home and he does his, his thing. He throws me in the backyard and fucking throws me in the garage and I'm up in my room crying. And he's like, I'm kicking you the fuck out. And he goes to go after me. And this time I ran, like I literally fucking booked it. And I shot out the front door and he comes up behind me with a, with a phone book right to the back of the head. Bam. And I went, you know, I, I caught myself turned around as I'm turning around. He caught me up in the side of the face and uh, he caught me again. And I found out later on in life that he did that because it wouldn't leave a bruise. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's why he did it. And, and yeah. so I got kicked out and, and moved down to Maryland with my grandparents. I was there for a year and uh, I started to discover, you know, a little bit of who I was, but not like too deep, um, you know. I ended up graduating high school early, um, earlier than I was supposed to, which in turn was teachers, actually right on track. Your teachers never suspected anything? No, I never said anything. All they knew is I was a smiling kid. Yeah, they, um, I, was, I was a, the teachers a good kid. The school I went to, if they suspected anything, they didn't tell me about it. And I just I keep looking back thinking, like, how did they not know? Yeah, well, here's the kicker is my 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 stepmom her one of her sisters was married to the band instructor at my high school and of course i was in band so yeah. they knew what was going on they didn't say anything and, and that was just kind of the dynamic back in that time is like you yeah. know but you don't say anything mm -hmm. uh, my aunts were the same way and they yeah. still to this day will deny that they knew anything i'm like you tell me that you only know the tip of the iceberg, which means you know there's an iceberg, but you just won't tell me because it's yeah. like my aunts have, it's like because they didn't actually see anything, then they're absolved of whatever happened yeah. to me. It's not their fault. They knew it was possible. They saw signs, but it was never confirmed. So they're in the clear. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you don't stop lying to me, just get out of my life. Yeah. And I just don't want anyone in my life anymore. Yeah. And, and I got to that point, you know, when I lived with my, with my grandparents where I was starting to get a voice. And I was starting to stand up for myself. My grandma, all the old habits that her and my grandfather had resurfaced. Um, my grandma, my dad was, you know, is a product of my grandma. And, um, you know, she's very narcissistic. Um, she, 
even to this day, like she's about to go into a nursing home and like she's super narcissistic and like just a vile fucking human being. Yeah, right. Uh, just a very vile human being. And my grandpa enables it and he allows it and he allowed it and he enabled it back in the day. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that really pissed me off about my grandma is I seen her like emotionally abuse my grandpa. So like, and I, I always stood up for my grandpa, but this is what really was like the, the icing on the cake was uh, she asked him to go get her something from the store. And he went to three separate Walmarts in the area, couldn't find it and came back home and she accused him of cheating on her. And like was dead ass serious. Like my grandpa at the time was in his fifties. Yeah. My He's a Vietnam vet. Selfies yeah. everywhere to prove yeah. I was not cheating. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And it's bullshit, you know? And so like, I said that I straight up was like, grandma, why you gotta be a fucking bitch? Like, dude, like you are acting like a bitch for no reason. This man literally sacrificed his time when he sacrifices his time all the time for you. Mm -hmm. And all you do is bitch at him. And that got me kicked out of my grandma's house. <laughs> so you know, uh, like, I, I always, it was the same thing for me. Like, I mean, it took a lot more years for me to start to fight back, but it's like, I feel like they push you to the edge. So then when you flip out and defend yourself, then, oh, well, you look, look crazy. How they've always been. Yeah. And it's, it just exactly. like stains your reputation. Yeah. And uh, at that time, when I was at my grandparents' house, uh, I wanted to be a pastor. And I'm not going to go into that because um, religious religion is a hot topic. But that was something I wanted to do when I was a kid. And um, my dad was like, no, you're going to join the army. Uh, you're not going to be a part of my life, essentially. Uh, he didn't come out and say that, but that's what he said. He's like, you need yeah. accountability, which is what what his, overall his terms was. You need accountability. So he came down there and I was terrified of my dad. Like that was the first time I'd seen him since, um, since the incident. And he drove me to the, he expected that I would be okay. And that like, I would be like just over all the shit that happened to me. And he drove mm -hmm. me over to the recruiting station, sat me down. I had to sign a contract that day. And so I signed a contract that day. Yeah. Um, and um, so I signed a contract to, joined the army that was april uh 06 and i would leave for basic in july um i moved back up with my dad for three months after i got kicked out of my grandparents house and those three months were the absolute most brutal time of my life i was waking up at five in the morning leaving. well not just that i wasn't in high school anymore yeah i'd graduated and um it, it was the most just to be clear, these grandparents were his parents, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just shows the generational yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. abuse cycle. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, those were the most brutal times of, of, of my life with him. Uh, I wasn't 18 at the time. I was only 17. And um, every morning I woke up at 5 a.m., I had like two hard boiled eggs to eat. I'll go to my neighbor's house. See, once again, my dad was pawning me off on other people. Yeah. Uh, my, my neighbor would take me down to the track at the high school that I used to go to. And I would run five miles in the morning at a six minute pace, which anybody that knows that is it's like fast. And my, mm -hmm. my dad would be like, you have to time it and you have to report it to me. Like he wanted to instill the punishment, but he didn't want to be a part of it. To keep his hands clean. That's how, mm -hmm. that's how my mother was 
and it was like everyone they always saw what my father did but it's like my mother was she was the puppet master and everyone thinks that she's just this innocent victim of his but she's not she's way worse and way scarier than he ever was yeah and uh and then i like when i would get it back from running that um i would do physical labor during the daytime so it would be either working on a car uh, mowing grass doing calisthenics uh even so far as to like calisthenics like 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 pretty much uh high level workouts um during the day and uh even so far as have you seen that movie cool hand luke oh god it's been so long Okay, you remember you remember the scene where Luke gets captured after he tries to escape, and the I warden makes him anything. Okay, so the warden. Okay, so the warden the warden catches Luke after he tried to escape from jail, and um, they bring him back instead of punishing him in a manner in which they would have done. He broke him, and um, he would make Luke dig a six foot or six by six hole, mm-hmm. like a grave. And then when he was done, he would say, why is this dirt out of my hole to fill it back yeah. in? And he would just repeatedly do just that. My dad made me do torture. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My dad would make me dig a hole five times every day. And it had to be counted every day. And uh, so when my dad came home on the weekends, I got no time off. Like it, it was like a maximum overdrive. Uh, and it got to a point where my body was failing me in three months. Um, I wasn't getting enough to eat. There's no nutrients coming into my body. I had enough to sustain me. Um, I was, I was working out like a, like a fucking madman. Um, it, it ended up and I didn't even fi- finish doing the running thing. I would run 15 miles a day at a six minute pace. That is insane. That is fucking insane. And so, even the army um, make you do that. no, no. And my dad was trying to, prepare me for the worst case scenario but he never stepped foot in the military so what do you know and uh so i ended up uh getting a weightlifting instructor because my dad was like you know at the last month he was like you need to get into weights and so like i started getting into weightlifting and uh my instructor was like dude i don't know what's wrong with you he's like but i want you to tell me right now so i sat down and told him everything and he called my dad and he said, if you do not stop this right now, I'm calling child services on you and I will, I will ensure that they lock you up. The dude was a, was a prior service Navy SEAL. Wow. Yeah. And so yeah. like he took, he, he's the one that's kind of saved my life. Yeah. I tried joining the military to get away, but um, the Navy would take me, but I would have to sign my parental rights over for my daughters to my ex-husband which i didn't want to do but i was gonna do the army and um it was i i got swine flu really bad and i um i had to use an inhaler so they wouldn't take me Mm. for that but when i told them like everything that was going on like the marines turned me away the air force and the army was the only one that would take me and then when they opened up women for for combat i was i called up my recruiter i was like i'm not using my inhaler anymore i want to be combat but there was other things in the way that i wasn't able to yeah we could have met in a very different way (laughs) we could have so uh i ended up joining the army and actually my first day in basic well 
let's back that up. My dad took me to maps with anybody that doesn't know what maps is. It's pretty much like the loading station to send you out to basic training. Yeah. When I got dropped, I went to Buffalo, New York, cause that was the closest one. And, um, so I'm, you know, we're driving there. It's like a four or five hour drive and we get there. I was expecting my dad to have some sappy things to say, expecting that he would <clears throat> show me, um, something. I got out of the car. Crazy to look back and think like, why did we expect that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would, I got out of the car and I closed the door and I didn't hear, I love you. Didn't hear a good luck. I didn't hear any of that. What I heard was squealing tires. And he, it was like, he's your fucking problem now. And that to me cemented, like, I am alone, completely alone. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I went and my first day in basic was my birthday, July 11th. Happy birthday, kid. You're fucking 18 years old. Welcome to the army. <laughs> and, uh, right. And so, but yeah. basic and basic was easy for me, like, like easy, all imagine. the fucking torment, all the torment that they were putting people through. I was used to, mm -hmm. um, all the physical, all the physical shit had not, uh, didn't bother me, you know, um, waking up early didn't bother me because I'd already been through all that bullshit. Uh, I went to AIT, which is Advanced Individual Training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Uh, I stayed. I went to basic and AIT there. And that was easy for me, too, except for like the learning portion. But I would be able to learn my job, you know, at, at the duty station. And then um, because I scored the highest in the PT test in AIT, I was afforded the opportunity to go to airborne school, which anybody that doesn't know what airborne is, it's you're jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> Mitch hated airborne school. He signed up as, um, what was it? Something x-ray. He was going to do special forces, but 11 x-ray. Yeah. 11 x-ray. And, um, they trap you and say, mm -hmm. Oh, you're going to be Delta force and CAG and all this. And then you don't pass. And they just put you as an 11 Bravo, which is infantry because yeah. that's all you're really qualified to do. But yeah. because he did that, he had to do airborne and yeah. he hated it well airborne school was easy for me like even then the jumping oh, yeah. out of a perfectly yeah. good airplane part of it so part of that like like that part that portion of it was kind of nerve-wracking uh because they you hear all kinds of horror stories they show you a video of the worst case scenario of things that could happen and so like that was nerve-wracking to me and my first jump i screamed the whole way down i was like fuck 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 just the whole way down and the jump master uh on our next jump which was literally hours later was like who was screaming and i was like me i had no <laughs> i had no qualms admitting to being a little bitch at the time and uh he was like yeah don't do that again so i jumped out my second time and internally I was like fuck, 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 fuck. right but i passed and my dad came down to airborne school and, and from or no he he came down to my ait for graduation i went nothing to do with him Oh, basic. Yeah. I wanted nothing to do with him at all. And he was like, I just spent all this money coming to see you. That's fucking bullshit. I said, you gave me away. Remember? Mm -hmm. And uh, 
So after airborne school, I went home, uh, not to Erie, but to go visit my sister. Cause like, you know, that was where my heart was, you know, visit yeah. my sister before I went to my first duty station. It just so happened. My first duty station was in Italy, which is fucking wild. So yeah. I mean, out of everybody. Yeah. Oh, I heard. Um, so so I ended up going over to Italy, getting getting assigned to the 173rd Airborne Brigade, and that's where my addiction kicked off. And uh, I I drank like it was nobody's fucking business, um, just primarily to what what I felt. And I heard this so many times, you know, drinking is not going to alleviate the pain, and it didn't. Mm-mm. But it sure as shit helped me forget it. Yeah. And um, that's what I wanted was just to forget it all, like. Fuck it all. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm a different person now, but it, really I wasn't. I was just a little kid stuck in, in an adult body. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I go on my first deployment. Oh, mind you, my dad had access to my bank account. And so when I was in Italy, um, I wanted I wanted to go travel. Like that was my thing. I wanted to go travel before I got you deployed on my well. first deployment. Mm-hmm. And my dad didn't give me my debit card. Uh, he held on to my debit card and said, you need to learn to write checks. Because everybody okay. uses checks. That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'll write a check and I'll go cash it at the bank. But right now in my life, in my, in my human adult life at 33, almost 34 years old, I can tell you on one hand how many times I've written a check outside of being in Italy. Which keeps trying to teach right? you how to balance a checkbook. I'm like, I, I don't write checks. <laughs> no, no, no. Right. And so... um. You know, I didn't my debit card. My dad was like, you need to learn how to, you know, write a checkbook. And I was like, all right, whatever. So I do that. And so I would literally manage my money based off, off of how much I was making. I knew how much I wanted to keep in my savings and then how much I could spend. Like I was trying to be a responsible adult within mm. the means. And I only wrote like four or five checks and I wrote them for about $500, which I was making $1,700 a paycheck being in Italy. Yeah. Like as a private. So like I had money in the bank and I went to go cash the next one. The cashiers all knew me at the bank and the lady was like, your, your, your check, your last check bounce. And I was like, how that's not fucking possible to so call my, I call my bank and I find out that he had drained my account financial abuse yep and so that really put me in a bad bad spot mentally emotionally spiritually stuff yeah (laughs) i get deployed i you know i get deployed to afghanistan on my first deployment and and, uh, i didn't really do much you know i was at first i was i was sitting on on a big base you know uh i worked night shift um in, in the tactical operations center and so i didn't really do much and they sent me on leave really quick. Like I was one of the first dudes to go on leave. And uh, I went home and I picked up my addictive ways and I drank almost every day being home at 18 days. And then uh, I came back to Afghanistan and they were like, yeah, by the way, you're going to get sent to another company in second battalion. And they're in the worst area in all of Afghanistan right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Mitch was in uh, Helmand province in Death Valley mm-hmm. his entire mm-hmm. nine months. He didn't get leave at all. Their leave was sending them to Leatherneck for three days. Yeah, I, uh, I got so that deployment was fifteen months, and for six months I sent I spent at that the big base, and then the rest of the nine months I went to the Corongal Valley, uh, which there's documentaries out about it. I'm in both of them, 
and yeah. uh, or make appearances in both of them. I'm not fully in it, but uh, or interview. Sure but uh huh, Restrepo and Cornwall, and uh, so uh, in my mind, I was like, "You're writing me a death sentence," but I really don't have anybody to live for. There's no reason for me to fucking even worry because if I die, I die, right? Yeah. And uh, so I, I go there and I'm learning my craft. Like this is the first time in my job that I'm learning my craft in a hands-on situation, which yeah, I Mitch need. That's that's how I learned. About, he always complained that in Garrison, he was just a glorified janitor. He liked being yeah. deployed because he actually was doing his job. I'm like, yeah, I I loved being I loved being deployed or being in training scenarios because I was able to do my job. My job yeah. is I was a I was in combat arm. My job was to was to talk to artillery mortars and get things get targets destroyed, get shit fucked up. And uh, so, you know, uh, I came back from that deployment. And you would have thought that I never left because I started. I, I drank as much as I did when I left. That fifteen month, well, that nine months, did nothing for me. And so I ended up. Uh, I ended up meeting a, a woman. Uh, her name is Monica, and um, I was instantly hooked. It's the first woman that showed attention to me that could. I can honestly say, like, I fell in love with. Uh, mind you, my drinking was a little bit out of control at the time. And, um, but I, st I stopped for it, right? And, uh, and that was 2009, uh, uh, probably like June 2009. And then uh, I proposed to her at Juliet's Castle in Italy uh, right before I deployed. It, it was pretty cool. It was awesome. Yeah, but how many times uh, have you proposed? At that point, zero. I know, but since then. Oh, a lot. And and that's what I'll get to to that point because I understand. I actually made a video on TikTok about love. And yeah. and I've kind of, kind of come to this terms, this realization about <laughs> me and love. Anyways, uh, so I proposed to her the the uh, probably about a month before I left for my my second deployment and uh we were starting to make plans you know get married when i got back i was going to have all this money and it was a year-long deployment so i ended up going and as i'm you know as i'm packing my stuff she's like i'm not going to go out clubbing i'm not going to go out drinking i was like dude don't stop your life because of me just because i'm out here doing my job like don't worry about that so you know uh next thing i know i'm getting emails and messages from people saying that she was doing things behind my back and I didn't believe 90% of what I was told, but then I got picture proof. I got back from that deployment and I was single again. Um, so yeah, it, it's been, uh, it's been, it, it was, it was crazy um, to see what, you know, had transpired. And I, I had that, that portion of my life where I just didn't give a shit about anything. Yeah. I, I was like, fuck it. Um, it's 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 insane it's insane what 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 people can do what what actions of other people do to you mentally and emotionally and i didn't understand that exactly um yeah so i got back to that from that deployment and um and next thing i know um um i was back drinking again and um it was 
it, it was a, a crazy time because my addiction was at an all-time high at that point. And I met my uh, my my daughter's mom. We uh, were dating at that time. And um, I wasn't the best human being. Um, Didn't you meet her at a club or something? Yeah, we met at a bar in Italy. Uh, she's American. Um, and she was a dependent of, uh, she was a daughter of somebody else. She was over the age of 18. It was legal. She's yeah. only like a few, she was only like a year or so younger than me. Uh, and, uh, boom, like that. I was like, I was like, I was like, uh, like a moth to a flame. I just, I, I fucking want, didn't want to be alone. I wanted somebody to care for me and I wanted to love that other person in return. Um, hindsight's 2020. I found out <laughs> a few years later that it was puppy love. Um, and uh so um we ended up getting engaged number two and uh you know it was just it was madness um uh, her parents pcs to up to alaska and um i was in the process of pcs in fort bragg and she was going to meet me at my dad's house because my dad and i had a decent relationship or it wasn't yeah. completely repaired and uh yeah so uh she ended up meeting me there and in the process of moving down to fort bragg actually in the first weekend of us being at fort bragg in 2011 we found out she was pregnant with my daughter emma and uh, at one point i was like dude i'm gonna be a dad this is gonna change my life yeah and I was like, I'm going to have a reason not to drink. I'm going to have a reason to be a better person. I'm going to have a reason. I I'm going to show my dad that I can be a better fucking father and human being than he ever was to me or ever. You're going to break the cycle. I'm going to break the cycle. Yeah. <laughs> Little did I know I contributed to the cycle. Yeah. Well, I hate to but cut you off, but we're getting kind of long. So I'm going to do a part two which i'm gonna post the two episodes separately so people can kind of have time to listen to one and move to the next so thank you so much for listening so far and we'll talk to you soon in part two